Hi, I'm Jay Harris, and you are listening to the Monarchist Podcast. Hope you enjoy it. I'm Aaron. And I'm Mike. And you're listening to the Monarchist Podcast. Today, we welcome Alan Blond into the show. Allen covers Coastal Carolina athletics for the Horry News. The 1992 Northeastern University Journalism School valedictorian has been a reporter at the News since 1993 after working at papers in Texas and Massachusetts and has earned eight top 10 Associated Press Sports Editor National Writing Awards. Welcome to the world's best and only ODU podcast. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate it. Alan, thank you for joining us. You've been in Myrtle Beach covering sports for almost three decades now. What has it been like to watch Coastal's birth of the football program to the success they've had the last few years? Yeah, so they so just for a little background on myself too. I so I worked for the Sun News, a newspaper called the Sun News for 29 years. I left them in June and I'm still covering Coastal Carolina, however, for Maori News, which is another paper in town. And so I've been covering Coastal off and on for 30 years. But yeah, they, they, the program started in 03, you know, as an FCS, of course. And, you know, the hiring of Joe Moglia kind of elevated it, the former TD Ameritrade CEO and chairman of the board. And, you know, he had him ranked number one in FCS for maybe about 12 weeks over two years. They've jumped up to FBS. I had three straight losing seasons in FBS. They went two and six in the Sun Belt three years in a row. And then 2020 happened and, you know, the coronavirus was good to Coastal Carolina somehow. It, they went 11-0 and in the regular season. They went, you know, finished 11-1. Uh, and They went 11-2 and last year. They're 6-0 and this year. So, you know, they're 28-3 over their last 31 games since the start of 2020. And it's, so it's been a, it's been quite a memory, essentially a metamorphosis in the last three years compared to where they had been. And, you know, Jamie Chadwell, the head coach has kind of led that and, they, they, they know how to win all of a sudden. So you talked about that 2020 season, that weird COVID, you know, whatever season that ended up being. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and how it just kind of became almost a magical season? I know we were seeing Coastal on TV all the time, but share with us a little bit from the Coastal fan perspective and as a writer what that was like. Yeah. And, you know, really, like I said, they, they were five and seven a couple of years prior to that and two and six in the conference. So, and, and they were, they were struggling to get their students to go to games. And when they did go, they'd stick around for maybe a, a quarter or two. So, you know, the attendance was waning. And then, you know, in 2020, they had an experienced team. So they, a lot of the guys that came through the FCS transition were actually still on the team in 2020. So they had a lot of guys that there were four and five year guys at that point. They even stuck around. They had like 13 six-year guys last year when the, that, uh, the you know, NCAA gave that extra year to COVID because of COVID and, and all, a lot of their best players stuck around for that even that next year. So they kind of bought into the culture, created the culture. So that, you know, that year was just crazy. It went from a losing program to undefeated. They ended up hosting ESPN game day on a week that they were supposed to host Liberty. And then Liberty had COVID issues. They ended up hosting BYU at the last minute. BYU was ranked in the top 10. Coastal was ranked in the top 10. Became like one of the biggest games of the week in the nation. And and they, of course, won. They, they tackled the guy inside the two-yard line on the last play of the game. So it, it just, again, it was really, as you mentioned, kind of a magical season. 
And you didn't know if that was going to continue. And when the players came back next year, the next year, which was last season, it did continue. They had another great season. And then they lost all those guys. And you were gonna you were kind of seeing how they might react and how the how the program would continue. And they're six and zero, but they have not been convincing in any of these wins. But they've managed to win. Like I said, I think they've built this culture where they can win. They know how to win. But at some point, you you know you you can't keep coming back in the last quarter or hanging on at the last at the last moment. So we're gonna see in these next few games, starting with Old Dominion this week, how. Coastal is able to hold on to this winning streak. So, Alan, obviously Grayson is the straw that stirs the drink for Coastal. He's been one of the few consistent parts of the program through this successful period other than Coach Chadwell. Can you talk to us about what makes him so difficult for other teams to stop? Well, Jamie runs a kind of a unique offense. It's a triple option, but it's spread, and they throw it as much as they run it, which is you know somewhat unusual in triple option offenses for the most part. And Grayson, you know, he played in that system for three years in high school. So he kind of perfected how to run it. Um, He makes all the best decisions generally, doesn't make mistakes, is an amazingly accurate thrower. You know, he set the record for the, set the record last year for passing efficiency, the NCAA FBS record, which had previously been held by Mac Jones and Joe Burrow the previous two years. So he's very efficient at it. He's very talented and he very seldom makes a mistake. So you know, when you throw all that together, and last year especially, they had a bunch of talent at receiver. They became a really difficult offense to stop, and they continue to be. And when he is not in the offense, it's very evident that it doesn't run and flow as effectively as when he's in the offense. All right, so from the receiver position, Sam Pickney leads the way for Coastal, 37 receptions over 500 yards. But Jared Brown and Tyson Mobley, they combine for seven touchdowns. They seem to be an explosive duo. For Monarch Nation that doesn't know a whole heck of a lot about the receiving core, what should they be watching out for? What makes them go? Yeah, well, they lost, you know, they lost Javon Hiley, who is is in the Canadian Football League at the moment. He a couple thousand, he was one yard from a thousand in two thousand and over a thousand last year. He was his go to guy. And of course, Isaiah Likely, the tight end, incredibly talented on the Baltimore Ravens at the moment and they expect big things from him so they had a lot to replace sam pinckney came over as a georgia state grad transfer and he's basically a security blanket he's kind of the javon highly of this year but not quite as explosive so he's the guy that he relies on a lot but jared brown's the guy that's kind of broke out in the last three weeks he's got more talent he's faster he's shiftier and and he's been getting the ball more in the last three weeks and you know he's a redshirt freshman so he's still growing and learning but uh, he's the guy that's providing the big plays. And Tyson Mobley's there as well, but it's really Jared Brown and Sam Pinckney. You know, Sam Pinckney's the guy he's going to go to to get the yardage and get the first downs. Jared Brown's the guy that's going to break things open. So it, those are the two guys you really need to stop in the offense, aside from Grayson himself. So moving to running back, C.J. Beasley is having a pretty good year. He's averaging six yards per carry, and he's coming off one of his best games yet with – 115 yards on 15 carries. The Norfolk native played his high school ball at Maury High School on ODU's campus at Palatine Field. Can you talk to us about CJ and what kind of back he's maturing into? Yeah, and the crazy thing is, so CJ started the season out as like number four in the depth chart, and the top three guys all get injured. Brandon, Braden Bennett got hurt in preseason. Aaron Bedgood got hurt on like the third play of the game of the season. 
and Reese White got hurt in like week two. So he ended up becoming all of a sudden the belt by default. And the guy's had an amazing year. He's, he's I mean, he's not just a fill in at this point. He's, he's probably going to be a guy that's going to be tough to usurp when these other guys get back as the key main, you know, the key back. Um, he's running with power. He's running with, with, you know, with explosiveness. He, 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 he just scored the game winning touchdown two weeks ago with 38 seconds left on a 21, 24 yard run where he hurdled over a defender who was fully upright, a five foot 11 guy. He used to be a hurdler in high school. So he's got that skill and he jumped completely over a guy who was standing fully upright on his way to the end zone. They're calling it the Myrtle hurdle. He's already got some t-shirts made. So yeah, he's, he's, he's been surprisingly effective and He's been incredibly important to the team based on the fact that out, aside from him, they, they, you know, they were going to the fifth guy and that one of their other guys got hurt. They're really onto their sixth guy if he's gone. So they've got a defensive back that's suiting up at running back for the last couple of weeks. So it, he's been incredibly important to the offense without it. All right. So let's switch to the defense here. And we got another Norfolk storyline in Lance Boykin transferred from Old Dominion to Coastal. ODU during that COVID season didn't play, obviously. Lance transferred. He's been a fantastic corner. He was, you know, great here. And now he's, you know, doing really well down there. Can you talk about what type of player he is and educate us a bit on the defense that Coastal's running? Yeah, no, Lance has been great. And he he, he talked about how excited he is to play all of his, I guess, his, his roommate or a couple of his roommates are still on the team. And so he talked about how excited he is to uh, to be able to play against all of his ex-teammates there. Yeah, he and DeJordan Strong make a, a really talented duo at cornerback. They, you know, DeJordan a couple of years ago had five interceptions. I think he ranked in the top five in the country that year in 2020. And he's still very effective. And Lance is on the other side. And obviously he's he's been very effective. So they, they're the two, you know, they're, they're the strength of the defensive backfield without a yeah, Coastal, they've got a couple of good linebackers. JT Killen, especially at 13 tackles, two two fumble recoveries last week, monster week, sack, broke up a pass at the one-yard line. So he's, you know, he's been a key at the linebacker spot. He's kind of holding that down. They The, the most experience coming back from this year was along the defensive line, led by nose tackle Jared Clark. And uh, Isaiah Stewart on the outside, the defensive end, is, was the preseason Sunbelt Defensive Player of the Year top five in the nation and sacks last year as a true freshman. So that's really the, you know, the defensive line is solid. They've got some good linebacker play and, and the corners are what hold down the defensive backfield. So they've been, they've been good. They, they were good in the second half last week. They, but they've, you know, they've been kind of like the offense. It's been hit or miss. They've been good some weeks, good for a couple quarters and bad for a couple quarters and giving up some plays, giving up and then, and then, you know, stopping teams. So it's, you know, they Coastal's still searching for that consistent play, both on offense and defense, but they are finding ways to win, which is the key. So you talked about the Monroe game. That second half, the defense really, they're the reason Coastal won that game. 28 points in the first half for the offense, zero in the second half. Could you tell us what did Monroe do differently at halftime to slow down the offense? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, it's hard to say exactly what Monroe did, but the, you know, a lot of what Coastal did was take a lot of penalties and their punting game was terrible. So they get we're giving up short fields. So the defense was just constantly being put in bad positions. But really Coastal was behind the chains consistently based on 
a lot of penalties. So it, you know, they were, and they weren't able to overcome them for whatever reason in the second half. And they, you know, again, they've, they're a younger team now with a lot of guys that have replaced a lot of older starters. So their margin for error is a lot less. So it, they can't take 13 penalties for 130 yards, which is what they did last week with most of those coming in the second half and most of those coming in damaging inopportune time. So really they played a very, you know, unclean, dirty game in the, in the second half. And that's really what contributed to the offense getting stalled for the most part. All right. So last year, Old Dominion made a name for itself on special teams. We showed that skill again this year. We've had a couple blocked kicks, good punting game, and a consistent kicking game. What can you tell us about Coastal Special Team Corps and how they plan to stifle ODU? Yeah, well, uh, co- you know, Coastal Special Teams Corps now their 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 coverage, kick coverage has been very good. They've you know they've they've got a blocked field goal, a blocked extra point for a touch. I mean, I'm sorry, a blocked punt for a touchdown this year. They've been solid on that side. Uh, like I said, last week the punting was terrible. They averaged 30 yards on six punts and were giving up short fields consistently with bad punts. They've got a, a young uh, redshirt freshman kicker who started out the season well, but he missed a couple kicks uh, back-to-back, and um, I don't know if they have the trust in him at the moment. So, yeah, uh, special teams at the moment is not Coastal's strong suit, especially on the kicking side of it, but they do have some dangerous returners, and they have done a good job of both covering you know, covering punts and kicks. Yeah, we did note in our podcast a couple days ago that if and we felt if we could keep Coastal – to just kicking 30 to 39 yard field goals, then things might go well for us. <laughs> yeah, that, that could be the case, but yeah, Grayson, Grayson will obviously have something to say about that during the game. And I'm sure Lomarion James is really excited about getting back to coastal because of how he started off the bowl game last year with that great kick return for a touchdown. So right now, it looks like we're going to have a beautiful day on Saturday. Any tips you can provide our fans with making the trip down? I, I mean, I'd get, you know, it's a noon start and the day and the weather's going to be good. So I I would get there early. I wouldn't I wouldn't mess around. It's homecoming weekend and Coastal has sold out two games at 20 plus thousand. They sold out the opener against Army and they sold out the Georgia, their last home game against Georgia Southern on family weekend. So it being homecoming, the early start's probably going to keep people from getting there too, too early, but I wouldn't waste too much time. There's, I've noticed there's some lines to get in at kickoff with the later arriving crowd, so I wouldn't waste any time. You might, you might miss parts of the first quarter if you don't get there early. So when we went to the bowl game, we entered on the opposite side of the road, and then we, had to, we walked to one end where the, the open end and realized we couldn't cross there. So then we had to go to the other end zone and we realized you had to do that weird go up into the end zone section to get across to get to the our seats on the I guess it's the home side. It was kind of interesting. And no one was telling us where to go, so we were all confused and had to figure it out ourselves. Huh. Yeah, there there I would as far as parking goes, I would suggest parking. There's a there's a, a pretty good sized lot that's very close to the stadium. If on 544, SC 544, with the shuttle back and forth, and that's pretty quick. And then, yeah, as far as getting seated and all that, luckily I have a press pass to all the games, so I haven't had to go through any of that process. But So I, I, I definitely can't give you much advice on that one. All right, so we're the new guys in the Sun Belt, so we've got a lot of learning to do about the teams in the belt. What kind of school is Coastal, and have the local fans taken to the program 
since the the team really started becoming super successful lately. Yeah, so the, the Coastals really had good community support in all of their athletics. I mean, their baseball team won the NCAA championship in 2016, and the community actually has always kind of been there. Even at the basketball games now, the community is there. The, the students is really, you know, it's being a, a school that's it's not a huge it, – it's about 50-50 in-state and out-of-state. You know, it's a lot, a lot of people coming from other places, so there's not a ton of – immediate loyalty to coastal and the people that are in state, you know, probably followed South Carolina or Clemson growing up. So it's been, it's taken a while and it required success for the, for the, for the students to follow. And they have, and they're there now, now, even at the basketball games, there's very few students, but the community's always been there. So they've got the, they've got the corporate support and the community support. Now that the students are there, that's essentially why they've been selling out some games recently. All right, so Vegas opened the spread in Coastal's favor at 11.5 points. The line has since moved 12.5. A lot of the money is on Coastal. What's your take on how this game goes down? I'm just going back and thinking, I don't believe Coastal's covered a spread yet. So They are 1-9 in in the last 10 games. Against the spread? Yep. That makes sense, yeah. Now they're 0-6 this year, I'm pretty sure. They, they, they may have covered against Georgia State, potentially. Yeah. But, they, sure. but it was a 10-point game in the fourth quarter, and they were favored heavily. So they may have covered, but if they did, it was barely and late. I, I guarantee they haven't covered the other five. So, yeah, no, I, I mean, if 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 the stats are as you say they are, and I believe them to be, I see no reason why this game's not going down to the wire again. Coastal hasn't played a game that hasn't. So 12-and-a-half is a lot to lay if you're Coastal Carolina against pretty much anyone at this point. And Old Dominion being a quality program with, with some good wins already, I I would expect this game to be a, a one-score game deep into the fourth quarter for sure. So we, we mentioned a few ODU connections in this podcast, but there's two others I'd want to highlight. One is offensive analyst Schuler Bentley. He played quarterback at Old Dominion. And also Bruce Stewart, an athletic administrator. He was at Coastal during the – the birth of their football program and when we started ours he came here to help us build our football program so i'm not sure if you're aware of bruce or if you remember him from his myrtle beach days but he's a popular guy in these parts yeah i do and and you know it's 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 interesting a lot of the teams in the sunbelt have similar stories you know you you go to uh, you go to coastal you go to georgia southern you go to james madison you go to old dominion it's all teams that are fairly new to F- FCA, FBS that all had pretty good success at the FBS level, at the, the FCS level, I apologize. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it, the conference is, it's, it's a, it's an interesting conference and it's an interesting, an interesting dynamic within the conference. The fact that and most of these teams are in the East division as well. So all these teams have followed the same path um, within a few years of each other, really. And, so, you know, Coastal and, and ODU are two of those. And, you know, that, that'll make, that, that makes for what is likely going to be a pretty good rivalry for years to come based on the fact that they have very similar histories. All right, Alan, before we close, if ODU is going to have success in this game, where do you think that Coastal could be vulnerable? Well, Coastal, Coastal especially early in the year, was giving up a lot, a lot of big plays in the passing game. You know, the corners, as we mentioned, are, are, are solid, but they're, their safeties, you know, are somewhat inexperienced for the most part. And there was a lot of miscommunication in the secondary. So they've been pretty stout against the run for the most part uh, all year. They've held, I think, four opponents under 100 yards out of their 
six. So I would say they're, if, if they're going to win, they're going to have some success with big plays and in the secondary and, and taking advantage potentially of, you know, some missed coverages by Coastal. Yeah, I'm really intrigued by the Ollie-Lance Boykin matchup and how you guys are going to plan on doubling him because if you don't double Ollie Jennings, it could be a long day for that defense. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously he's putting up He's right there at the top of lists throughout the, you know, in, in receiving throughout the nation. So, uh, yeah, I, I assume they're going to have a plan. But again, like I said, they, they've had some miscommunication. Through, so it only takes one or two of those and you leave a guy somewhat open or in one-on-one coverage and he beats somebody and, and you, you know, you're giving up seven. So, yeah, that'll be obviously that's going to be one of the key matchups of the game. And it'll be interesting to see if Coastal thinks that Lance and or DeJordan can can somewhat handle him one-on-one or if they're going to constantly have help. All right, Alan, where can people find your content? I, the easiest place to find it is on Twitter. I'll post everything I write there. And it's my name, basically, at Alan Blondin. It's A-L-A-N-B-L-O-N-D-I-N. So, yeah, at Alan Blondin, A-L-A-N-B-L-O-N-D-I-N. And obviously, it's posted at the website for the Ori Independent is myorinews.com. Uh, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, we're really looking forward to this game. Coastal 6-0, it's going to be a big challenge. Noon, ESPNU, go Monarchs. Go Monarchs. Yes, sir. I believe, I believe it'll be a good crowd and a good game, so it should be entertaining. Absolutely. Thanks again, Alan. Thank you. Thank you.